0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times. You're listening to Letter from the Bureau, a podcast series which is part of The Straits Times' Asian Insider channel. I'm your host and ST's new foreign editor, Li Xueying. Our previous host, Bagashree Garika, is the incoming US Bureau Chief for ST in Washington. Now, The letter from the Bureau is like a scenic detour from the hard news that keeps hitting the headlines globally. Here, we talk about life as it goes on amid all the crisis. I chat each month with one of ST's correspondents in the Asia-Pacific, the US, and Europe, and they share with you their observations and insights on what's unfolding in their patch. In our 25th episode, we are speaking with ST's Philippines correspondent, Mara Sapeda, Good to have you on the show, Mara. Hi,
1: Shreying. Happy to be here. Hi. So you
0: recently wrote about a group of Filipinos that people don't usually read about. They're poor, they're elderly, and they are drag queens. Can you tell me why you felt this was an important story to tell?
1: Mm -hmm. So pitching this to SD is actually rooted in my personal um, experience. See, I've always known about These grandma drag queens whom we call as the Golden Gays in the Philippines, but I never really went on a deep dive into their story until I started watching the Philippine version of RuPaul's Drag Race, so Drag Race Philippines. And it's when I really understood drag culture in the Philippines. And I think beyond, you know, the artistry and the jokes of the drag queens, what I really love about it was that many of the really popular drag queens were using their fame to shed light on the situation of the Golden Gaze. So the Golden Gaze is the name of the group of the elderly drag queens, but it's also the name of the not-for-profit organization that was created uh, for them, by the late Filipino AIDS activist and politician, Husto Justo who created this home for aged uh, LGBT members in the Philippines so that they have a place to stay. Um, the Philippines is a relatively conservative country. We're predominantly Catholic. And we don't really have social safety nets for members of the LGBTQIA+. Community, we have a lot of issues about social welfare programs, although more for our elderly grandmas and grandpas in the LGBTQIA plus community, and so Husto Husto created at home for them. But when he passed away in two thousand twelve, the family evicted the Golden Gays, and they were left to look for places on their own and they ended up living in the slums of Pasay City. So it's a very, very small home. It's two floors, two bedrooms, but it's very, very cramped. And about nine people are staying in there currently while the rest of the Golden Gays live in other areas depending on who they know or depending if they have family or if they have friends in the area. I
0: see. So when you went down, what was it like? And what were the spirits of these uh, golden
1: gays? Were they very, um? Did, did they feel very down and out? Since they live in the slums, uh, it's uh, very, very poor living conditions. But the, I noticed the effort to really make it homey. Even if there's nine people sharing a very small home, you can tell that they don't really have a lot of space because the entire place is kind of like their closet as well. If you enter their home, it's really made out of wood and reused steel, scrap metal. So typical of a slum home, but they put carpets in it and you know, it's all very clean. But on the ceilings, all of their clothes for their drag shows are hanging from there. So it's kind of like a storeroom slash bedroom. For the two bedrooms where the grandmas are staying. So, what they would do at night is that they would just lift their stuff and just try to make space for each other. But even if the conditions are like that, you know, honestly, they feel they remind me like my own grandmother because they were very kind and they were very welcoming. They treated me like I was one of their own grandchildren. And I think that's something that's very, very endearing. And I think I wanted to tell the story to show that. In the Philippines, members of the LGBTQIA are still struggling very much to be accepted. And you
0: were saying that the younger ones want to help raise money for the golden gays to build a permanent house, a hospice. Why do they feel this need for this special effort? Um, what are the unique challenges that they face as opposed to the other needy elderly Filipinos?
1: Mm-hmm. So in the Philippines, we don't really have a very good um, a good system to take care of elderly people in general, especially if they are part of the less privileged side of society. So usually homes for the aged that are run by the government are not really funded very well. They have poor living conditions. And we are told that the grandmas have tried to reach out to uh, their local government, but they were told that they didn't really have space for them so their argument is that it's also based on gender that we don't have space for you so you're left to your own devices so one of the among the many struggles of the lgbt community in the philippines is that their own family would ostracize them or abuse them because they don't mm-hmm. really understand their gender identity and you know who they are And they end up being alone or they end up living off of the streets. And uh, these young, famous drag queens are doing shows. I've started doing shows to help raise funds to hopefully create a hospice that will be a home for elderly members of the community if all goes well for them. (laughs)
0: Right. So you spoke of discrimination against some of these drag queens. How are they generally viewed among mainstream Filipinos? And have there been actually any changes in attitudes towards them?
1: Okay, so quick history lesson. Pre-colonial times in the Philippines, meaning before we were invaded by Spain in the 1500s, cross-dressing has already been part of the culture of early Filipinos. But that practice became less and less accepted as more and more of the country was converted into Catholicism. So the, so that also meant that homophobia became stronger in the country. And it was only, I think, in the, sometime in the 1980s when members of the LGBT community started getting more prominent roles in media, but often they would be comedians and so the tendency for people then was to view members of the LGBT community as forms of entertainment, not really serious artists who deserve awards, not really serious enough to be considered as real artists. We do have a very prominent comedian named Dolphy who starred in films and I think did a lot for the community because he portrayed a crossdresser. A gay Filipino who was using his talents as a cross-dresser to help his family, but at the same time, it's a struggle and kind of mirrored the experience of members of the LGBT community in the Philippines, meaning they were ostracized or they were abused, often by male family members, thinking that their gender identity is just a face. And then over the years, people became a little bit more liberal and a little bit more accepting. Now we have more members of the community who are very, very popular and are starring in their own shows or starring in their blockbuster shows, blockbuster movies. And it was only in 2022, though, when the drag culture in the Philippines started going mainstream. So it has always been there, but they operated underground or just among members of the community. But the arrival of shows like Drag Race Philippines and Drag Den really put them in the mainstream. And they attracted a lot of young Filipinos who obviously are the ones who would consume Netflix or would consume shows on Amazon Prime. And I think that was a breakthrough for the drag community in the Philippines because as the shows gained popularity, so did the drag queens. And then a lot of their TV guesting started pouring in. Major brands like MAC Cosmetics are, were, were already getting a lot of the drag queens that gain popularity through the shows. And many of these drag queens know that the pressure is on them, that they have to be very, very good role models for drag queens and for the community in general. And the reason why they got popular, it's not just because they were very good in doing their makeup, and their performances, in making their costumes and their gowns in the shows, but also because these are the ones who really opened themselves up to the audiences and that allowed the audience to relate to their story. So for example, the winner of the first season of Drag Race Philippines is Precious Paolo Nicole. And she became so endearing to the audience because in one episode where they had to make over One of their relatives, she did a makeover with her brother, John John, and the show became a platform for her to tell the story of how John John is actually her half-sibling, but she was using drag to help send money so that John John can go to school and they can help pay off the bills, but then initially she didn't even say that she was actually making a living out of drag. So there's that kind of push and pull. And it's a similar story for many of the drag queens. Some of them were darker than others. Some of them were abused by their fathers or their uncles or their grandfathers, and they would really cry. And others would share stories of how they had a tough relationship with a family when they first came out and eventually they reconciled. Mm -hmm. And Precious actually shared that when she went to the U.S. for a drag convention, she was able to meet a mother and a son who told her that they really wanted to go there and talk to her because, you know, for some reason, the mother and the son were estranged for for several years and somehow they both watched Drag Race Philippines at the same time and kind of remembered why they loved each other and decided to reconcile and try to seek each other out because they were very very touched by the story of Precious and for Precious she says that's also the impact of the show that they're able to show Filipinos that they are just like the rest of them they're they're also family and that who they love the gender of the people that they love does not make them any different and, part, and of course, they're using that as a platform to make political statements and do social projects like the Golden Gaze.
0: Right. But at the same time, the Philippines, I think, remains quite conservative. Yes. So were there concerns that this heightened profile of the drag queens could actually lead to a backlash from the more conservative elements in society?
1: So the backlash isn't really directly on the drag queens themselves, but... They uh, have been pushing lawmakers to finally pass an anti-discrimination bill that has been languishing in our Congress for decades already, and some have called for the legalization of same-sex marriage. And these would sort of push lawmakers to start talks again about these bills in Congress. But the conservative lawmakers among them pastors and leaders of their own religious groups you know, w- would strongly lobby against the passage of these bills. They would, you know, be citing uh, Bible passages and writings by the church, right, writings by our popes to counter arguments of the community on why there couldn't be same sex marriage in the Philippines. So, what advocates would say, same sex marriage seems very, very difficult to pass mm. at the moment. So, what about? just the anti-discrimination bill, which aims to essentially ensure that members of the community would not be discriminated just because of their gender, meaning they would not be denied jobs or would not be given lower wages just because of of their gender. But that bill is still having a lot of trouble gaining support in Congress and still with the lawmakers citing religious feelings, religious beliefs, that are very, very hard for the rest of Congress to try to convince them because these are something that they grew up with, something that they believe in, and it's about their faith. And these drag queens, I guess they're not really disheartened. If anything, I guess they continue to use the platform to continue convincing lawmakers to try to support the anti-discrimination bill. But it, it is an ongoing debate. It is an ongoing fight. But I think the drag queens have been very, very smart on how they've been using their platform and how they're engaging with these lawmakers, knowing how sensitive the topic is.
0: Yes, yeah, it's a very tough balancing act for the Philippines, right? With all the different groups, with different perspectives and views on this.
1: Yes, that's true. Because if you're a lawmaker in the Philippines, to gain the votes, you need to understand the, the profile of your constituencies. So say a particular lawmaker is a little bit more open to the LGBT community, but if they are leading a province, a city, a locality that isn't really supportive of the anti-discrimination bill, then they probably won't be casting their vote in favor. So there's something like that. They Personally, they might want to Support it, but then they all also understand that they serve constituencies, and their first responsibility is their constituency. So there, there's that push and pull, uh, right there. Right. So turning away from the
0: politics of it all, mm-hmm. what is your sense of what the future holds for these drag queens in terms of you know, their daily needs, their housing, their retirement needs? Are you hopeful for what the younger generation is trying to do for them?
1: I think it's a very positive outlook for the community. I mean, Drag Race Philippines has been renewed for a second season. It's currently showing in the Philippines right now. And the Golden Gays were you know are actually featured in one of the episodes and that's another chance for more people who including those who are just tuning in right to to understand their story more and to know what they've done for the community because they pioneered the drag culture in the Philippines and it's very positive because these drag queens they're also shining in their careers they're gaining more opportunities that they didn't get before And also they're pushing barriers and they're able to use their voice to be positive influences in the country without going into the whole, anything related to religion, for example, which is a very sensitive topic in the Philippines. So they're able to, become inspiration for example about standing up for yourself or finding your talent and showing it to the rest of the world so these queens are trying to be responsible role models and they're getting income out of it they're getting the endorsements they're getting the tv guestings out of it and i mean it's just a very good thing for the community because now even drag queens and the provinces who are not really known by the rest of the country are being given the chance to perform in Manila and then promote their shows so that people in their own provinces will be able to watch them.
0: Well, thank you, Mara, for sharing all of that and your insights into the story.
1: Thank you so much for having me here.
0: Well, that's a wrap for Letter from the Bureau, a podcast by The Straits Times. If you would like to read Mara's column, we have a link in our podcast show notes. You will also find a link to other articles in our Letter from the Bureau series.
1: That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast podcastsph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa enabled devices.